Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. So, I'm not going to waffle. We're going to be looking at Romans. Why do you think that's funny? Yeah, I am going to waffle. Um, but I'm not going to waffle right at the start. We'll keep that for near the end. Um, we're looking at Romans 8. We're going to jump straight in to Romans chapter 8. So if you, ha- if you have a Bible with you, you will benefit if you turn to Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible on PDA or mobile phone, you will also benefit if uh, you turn to it because we're going to be examining the text quite a wee bit tonight, tonight this morning. I've been up very early. Um, so let, let's, let's go there. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and uh, see what it says. I want to make sure my clicker works, which is not right now. Why does it work whenever you're not here? And there we go. Yeah, Romans chapter 8. I guess before actually we go to Romans chapter 8, um, I want to do two things. First of all, let's pray. And then I want to ask you a few questions. We're going to pray. Father, we ask you to, uh, to speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we come here not because uh, we want to hear the ideas of man, but we come here because we want to hear you speak. Father, will you speak to us through your spirit by the truth of your word? Father, give us the eyes to see what it is you're saying to us and the ears to hear and the heart to apply to the way we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do Christians sin? Oh, really? <laughs> um, does sinning, does a, does a Christian's sinfulness lead to a defeated life? You have all the answers. Um, not all Christians, Christians do sin. And no, Christian sinning does not need to lead to a defeated lifestyle. But in many cases, it does, though, doesn't it? It doesn't need to, but in lots of cases, that's exactly what happens. Not all Christians grow. Have you noticed that? Not all Christians grow. Um, some, some don't want to grow. Right? Because they quite like the stuff that stops them growing. Right? Um. And yet, we have conferences and books and radio stations and worship CDs all about breakthrough. It's big, breakthrough is big business. And yet, we have Christians who don't grow or don't want to grow. If you're not content with spiritual immaturity, if, if you want to know what the Bible says are the key elements to spiritual growth, I suggest you tune in for the next 30 minutes or so. Not, not because I've got good ideas. It's because of what is in the book. It's what's in Romans 8. And I think if you tune in, you will hear a life-changing message. Because I know when I heard it, it changed mine. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, I'll stick it. I keep doing the screen. There you go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not to the flesh, but according 
to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. This is doing my head in. There you go. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You have to do about nine times. There you go. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons of God and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also may be glorified with him. So I... I my my youngest boy Isaac really loves cowboy films. I mean, you ask him whenever he's a P two, a P seven, asked him who his superheroes were, and good man. And um, you know, he's sort of expecting the P seven was kind of expecting him to say Superman or Batman or something like that. And he said Rowdy Yates. There, there was an age response there. Did you notice that? <laughs> Rowdy Yates is a cowboy from the fifties. You know, the Eisenhower years, white hat, good, black hat, bad. And, and you've seen, there was a theme in cowboy movies that sort of was repeated in gangster movies. Sometimes you would see the guy would come in, right, and he was looking for a wee bit of compliance or maybe even asking a favor. And what he would do is he would set his 38 or 45 on the table just to let you know what the right answers were. <laughs> do you ever see that happening in a movie? It's, it's, that's what's called an attitude adjuster. Right? And so... If, if you have that situation, you know, where someone's just has something in, in the line of sight to keep you focused on the answers they want you to give, it's, it's going to impact upon the relationship you have with that person, right? It's not going to be a healthy relationship. You know, there, there are people who relate to God like, like this, like God has the magnum on the table. You know, they see God as a transcendental Shylock demanding his pound of flesh, right? God's the cosmic headmaster with the cane just waiting for you to step out of line so he can bring it down hard on your knuckles. People capitalize. There are, there are denominations who capitalize on that. There are swathes of 
Christianity that operate this way. You know, guilt is a motivator. Fear is a motivator. There's no question about that. But it's not the best motivator. Because guilt and fear can only lead to alienation and to resentment. What happens to the best behavior pupil when the teacher leaves the room? Right? What happens to the golden child when he gets to university? You've seen it? Haven't you seen it? They're, they're relating out of guilt and they're relating out of fear. There are better motivators than guilt or fear. And God knows the most powerful motivators to be grace and love. How, think about how you would relate to me. Imagine like we're getting to know one another and we're spending time together. And as you develop a relationship with me, someone comes along and says in your ear, someone who you know and love and trust comes along and whispers in your ear, Johnny Graham is only getting close to you so that at the right time, when nobody's looking, any day now, he wants to kill you. Right, and we've been going to the games, we've been hanging out, having great time. Now your relationship with me is different, isn't it? Because you're looking at me sideways, you're thinking, I don't want to be with you. I have to be with you because I don't want you to know that I know, but I know. And the relationship's different. It's going to hinder the relationship. It's going to stunt the relationship, right? Now imagine this. Imagine we're getting to know one another and... Someone comes along who you know and love and trust and they say to you, you need to stick with Johnny because at some point in your future, he's going to take a bullet for you. I don't know when it's going to be, but there's someone coming for you and he's going to be the guy that's going to walk in front of the gun and he's going to take the hit so you get to go free. How do you feel about me now? It's different, isn't it? And we have a choice. We can relate to God. Like he's that cosmic headmaster waiting for us to step out of line, to bring down the ruler. Or we can relate to God as he would have us relate to him in the truth of who he is. He's the guy who took the bullet. Literally, he's the guy who gave up his life so we could go free. Many people only relate to God as a God of judgment and a God of condemnation when in actual fact, he is a God of grace and he's a God of love. And that's what the message of Romans 8 actually is. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what I want you to do? I want you to get home today and get a post-it note and write Romans 8 verse 1 on a post-it note. Stick it all over your house. Stick it on your steering wheel. Stick it on your fridge. Put it on your extractor fan hood. Stick it in front of the window where the dishes are done. Put it everywhere. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the way that God wants you to relate to him. As someone who is not condemned. As someone who stands before him loved and accepted. There is no condemnation. No condemnation means we are free from guilt. No condemnation means we are free from sin. It means we are free from punishment. It means we are free from penalty. It means we are free from fault. It means we are free from any charge that may be brought against us. It means we are free. There is no condemnation. Do you hear the impact of those words?
If you are in Christ Jesus, as you stand before a God of mercy and grace and love, he sees you as not condemned. There is no condemnation. We are free from unworthiness. You know those feelings of unworthiness that well up in you? You think, I can't approach him. I can't stand in his presence. I can't even be with his people. I'm not worthy. Free from unworthiness. Free from the addictive behavior that stems from the unworthiness. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're free from the addictive behavior that is birthed by those feelings of unworthiness. Free from insecurity. John Wesley says, bold, I approach the eternal throne. We can walk into God's presence with confidence because we are not condemned. We don't need to be defensive. You know when someone comes along and tells you what you're like? I've had a couple of conversations with Stephen McCaffrey, and I know the way it's going to go when he starts the sentence with, I'm your friend. You know there's something painful coming. Right? And he, he took me to McDonald's one day to tell me I was too fat. <laughs> like time and place. But he was right. Well, we don't need to be oversensitive to that. When someone comes along and says, look, this, this is how I see you. This, here's the behavior you're manifesting. Do you know you're doing this? Do you know you said that out loud? I see a pattern. I see a lifestyle pattern. My natural response is to get defensive, right? Don't you dare. Who do you think you are? Because I feel condemned. I feel the condemnation. And God says there is no condemnation. You don't need to be defensive about it. Listen to the truth. Accept it and walk in victory because of it. Don't need to be sensitive to criticism. Don't need to be competitive to our brothers and sisters who work with us in ministry. He's a better worship leader than me. He's a better communicator than me. It's not a competition. If someone is better, rejoice and bar them. Let them be the giant that stands on your shoulder. Don't need to be competitive. We're free from that. And we're free from a lack of confidence. We can approach God confidently. We're free to live a life of joy. It's just me, isn't it? There we go. Uh-oh. Let's not do this again. Granted, do you want to take that down to where... Oh, hang on. There we are. Stop clicking. Okay, take it to where it needs to be. Right, free for confidence, free for joy, free for truth, and free for victory. Because when you're set free, you're set free for a reason, right? I want you to notice a couple of things. If we go on to the next slide, you can see that right at the top of the verse there, when we start the passage, it says... All of this freedom, all of this non-condemnation is for a particular type of people. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're going to feel the guilt. You're going to feel the suffering. You're going to feel the, in, the insecurity. You're going to feel the unworthiness. You're going to feel it. Because it's when we are in Christ Jesus that the condemnation is removed. And here's the thing. The invitation to be in Christ Jesus is open to anyone. So if you're not there, you can be there. The verdict of not guilty is pronounced by God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that invitation is open to all. But I want you to notice right at the very start of the verse there, it says, therefore. And whenever we see a therefore, 
<laughs> you have to ask what it's there for, see? And so this, what the therefore does, normally when you see a therefore in a Bible verse, it's normally, it's normally saying, based on what has already been said, this. So the therefore ties what is about to come to what has just taken place, to what has gone before. And so if we want to get a little bit of understanding into the therefore and into the no condemnation relationship that we have with God, we need to take a look at what's gone before. And that would be, because we're in Romans 8, that would be Romans 6 and Romans 7. I don't miss a trick. And if you look at Romans 6, you'll see that Paul talks about being in Christ Jesus. I really recommend it when you get home today. Have a look at Romans 6. And he says in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you come to Jesus, when I came to Jesus, when you came to Jesus, something happened. You may not even have been aware of it, but you died. You died. And then you were resurrected as a new person. When we dip people in the sea at Browns Bay, that's symbolic of what has happened spiritually. Now, I didn't feel this happen to me. I don't remember it happening to me, but the book tells me it happened to me. It happened. It happened to you too. Because you're in Christ Jesus. You say, wait a minute. So whenever, whenever I ask Jesus into my heart, Right? I asked Jesus to come and live in me and, and, and I am living in me and he's living in him. Is, is it me and him or is it him and me? Which is it? I know. <laughs> Which is it? It's both. And this is the relationship that we have with our God. I and him and he and me. Do you know what that means? It means it's so close, I can't go anywhere without him. And he doesn't go anywhere without me. That's like, even if you want to walk away, you can't. He's in you. And you're in him. And that's a relationship that Jesus calls us to. You and him. And he and you. There's a couple of other things I want to look at. If you see there, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. I was working on this last night and Samuel come along and he said, there is therefore now? Well, why does it not just say there is therefore no? It says there is therefore now no condemnation. Why is there a now there? Is Paul being redundant again once more? Thank you, Michael. Michael gets these jokes. I'm so glad you get them because most people are like, what? Paul's not, the now is not a redundant word. The now is there for a reason. The now is there because sometimes we get it wrong. You know, sometimes we can approach God and whenever we come to him and we, and we realize our need of him and we ask him to inhabit us, to come into our lives, to be our king, to be our Lord, to be our savior. Sometimes we get the wrong impression that all the sins that we have committed up to that point are forgiven. But all the sins we're going to commit in the future, we need to keep a record of, write them down so we can confess them dutifully, religiously, so they can be forgiven too. Paul says no. There's no condemnation now. And the tense is passive. I used to get in trouble when I lived in England for using the passive tense. Northern Ireland, we use the passive tense all the time. You know, whenever I was in school, what do you mean whenever? When I was in school, it's an English thing. Maybe it's a grammar thing to teach you. It's an English thing. Like whenever, you're not in school now. 
Whenever it's present continuous, this now is present continuous. There is now. That was now yesterday. That is now tomorrow. That is now four weeks from now. That is now forever. When you come to Jesus, he forgives your sin. All the sins you committed in the past, all the sins you're committing in the present, and all the sins you will commit in the future. That's scandalous, isn't that scandalous? The sins that you willingly, knowingly will commit in the future, he has already forgiven you of now and does not condemn you for them now. What? That's the gospel of God, people. That's the gospel of God. That's why you can live in confidence and in freedom and without condemnation. I want to show you a movie clip because there's a problem here. If we don't get this present continuous, if we don't get the fact that all of our sins is forgiven, we're going to end up defeated. We'll end up tied to religiosity, to legalism, and to a lifestyle of defeat. I know Christians that are trying really hard to be Christians. You hear this? God really hasn't asked you to live for him. God has asked you to allow him to live through you. I don't know if you've seen the movie I Am Sam. Anybody seen the movie I Am Sam? Okay, if you haven't had a good cry, you want to download I Am Sam. I was going to say rent it. That doesn't happen anymore. Get out the tape. <laughs> if you need a good girl, rent I Am Sam. I'm going to show you a wee mini clip, hopefully, of I Am Sam. Just, well, I'll let it speak for itself. can get Lucy back. The court favors reunification. But Sam, you have to fight for her. Yeah, but I try, I try hard. Try harder. No, but you don't know, you don't know. I don't know what. Yeah, you don't know what it's like, but you try and you try and you try and you try and you don't ever get there. Because, because you were born perfect and I was born like this and you're perfect. Oh, is that right? People like you don't know. People like me? People like you don't know what it's like to get hurted because you don't have feeling. You don't, people like you don't feel anything. You think you got the market cornered on human suffering? Let me tell you something about people like me. People like me feel lost and little and ugly and dispensable. Michelle Pfeiffer goes on to say, it's like every morning I wake up and I feel and I look around and everybody else seems to be pulling it off but somehow I can't. And no matter how hard I try, I'll never be enough. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying, but you just can't try hard enough? Jesus wants to take us to a place where we get to the end of that, where we get to the end of ourselves, where we realize we can't do it. I can't do it. And we come to him at an end of self and in total bankruptcy, and we say, God, I can't do this. And God says, good, because I've already done it. And he moves us to a place of ransom, restored, healed, 
forgiven. That's where he wants us to be. Remember that, therefore. We look back in Romans chapter 7. You see Paul related, Paul outlining how he has related to God from that self-effort, from that legalistic perspective. Look at what he says. He says, For I know what the law, that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know, what, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I do the right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see the members of another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's what the therefore is there for. To point us back to if we try to relate to God out of some sort of religious obligation, out of some sort of moral duty, out of some sort of self-effort, we just go down in a winding spiral of defeat. And we need to go back into Romans chapter 8 and look for what God has done. The gospel is about what God has done. It is not about what you have done. If you are not in Christ Jesus and you want to be in Christ Jesus and you're waiting till you get all your ducks in a row, it's not going to happen. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement that God demands of us, because he demands a righteous requirement, but he puts sin to death so that that righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us and that should blow your mind. God has already put it in you. That's why you're not condemned because he sees you, if you are in Christ Jesus, as righteous. That's what the therefore is there for. There's a couple of things we need to bear in mind too. Whenever we come to God, he justifies us. He makes us right. He makes us stand before him as pure. He sees us as pure. When we come to God bankrupt, out of self-effort, we say, God, you do it. God justifies, makes us right. Legally, not guilty, without charge. And whenever we get to heaven, he will glorify us. We'll be like him. He will turn us into the people he designed for us to be before the garden. But while we're here, he will sanctify us. I was always told sanctification is my response to God's grace. Right? God has graciously justified you. Now you get on with it. Get your act together. Get sanctified. Wrong. Paul says to the Galatians, are you so foolish? Having been begun by the Spirit, you're now going to be perfected by the law? Who when you came to faith, who justified you? Jesus justified you. God justified you. When you go to heaven, who will glorify you? 
I hope you know the answer to this. God. So while you're here on earth, who will sanctify you? God. Not you. God. Justification removes us from sin's penalty. Sanctification will remove us, it's down there, Johnny, from sin's power. And glorification will eventually, when we get to heaven, remove us from sin's presence. For sure, this bit in the middle is a struggle. It's hard. And we do have a responsibility. We don't just get to abdicate. Okay, God, go. We don't get to, we don't get to just abdicate responsibility and move on. Have you ever tried to dress a two-year-old? Right? Sanctification is a bit like dressing a two-year-old. When you're putting the clothes on a two-year-old, you're doing more work than you do when you put your own clothes on. Right? Isn't that what happens? And when I see football kits, see those socks? What is that about? You're trying to shove them on. Right, and I'm saying to Isaac, right, I'm going to, put, I'm going to tie your laces. I'm going to put your boots on. I'm going to strap up your shin guard. I need you to focus, okay? Be in the room. Watch what I'm doing. Work with me on this. That's a relationship that we have with God. We're the two-year-old, and God is clothing us in his righteousness. We just need to focus. We need to be in the room. We need to cooperate. But it's him that's doing the sanctification, and we're cooperating with him. And this is all about a mindset, people. Look at what it says here. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For those who set their mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set, it's all about mindset. It's all about the mindset. And there's two kinds of mindsets that we can buy into. We can buy into the flesh mindset self-effort, religious obligation, moral duty, or we can buy into the spirit mindset. Think again. Oh my goodness. Come on. Who did this? Who was in charge of this? There you go. If you look, if you look, and you take it back one, Granty, for me, please. If you look at the whole passage in Romans 8, you will see that Paul says flesh 13 times. He says spirit 18 times. It's about the mindset. And we have a choice. We can choose to relate to God in the flesh or we can choose to relate to God in the spirit. Relating to God in the, in the flesh is all about law focus. I have to do harder. I have to fulfill the law. I have to be on my best behavior. It's all about sin focus. Oh, I'm so evil. I'm so bad. I'm so corrupt. Why can't I get this right? You don't know what it's like to be me. I try and I try and I try and I can't. It's all about self-focus. What I do, what I have to do. You need to give me a break. You need to understand what I'm dealing with, where I'm coming from. It's all about world focus. But I gotta. I have to have the house. I have to have the car. I have to have the 2.4. That's what Paul says in, in Romans 7. That's exactly what's happened in Romans 7. Look at Romans 7. I'm going to stand down here. And you see, you can't really see the reds there, but there's I, 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 me, me, me all over the place. There's law, law, law all over the place. And here's the thing. See all those things, the law focus, the sin focus? God wants us to move away from those towards the antithesis of those. And the opposite of law would be grace. And the opposite of sin would be Christ. And the opposite of self would be others. And the opposite of the world focus would be the eternal focus. That's the mindset that we need to adopt. That's our, that's our responsibility. That's our cooperation right there. And the thing about it is, all those things on your left of the screen, God has said, we've died to them. You, you've died to sin. Band of brothers, baby. Band of brothers. Brian, had to happen. 
So there's this guy on the oh, this guy here, this guy on, on the left of the screen. That's the real Lieutenant Spears. This is the actor that plays Spears in the in the miniseries Band of Brothers. And Spears was a bit of a character all the way through. But there's a place there's a there's a place in the miniseries where Easy Company is separated. They're they're in two positions. There's a town of Foy in the middle, which is full of SS troops, and and one part of Easy Company is in the front of Foy, and another part of Easy Company is in the back of Foy. And they need to they need to join up. These they can't communicate. There's no way of communicating. So Spears is on the north side, and he sees the SS division and what he does he says I, I need I need to I need to get the Baker company we've got to get the Baker so he runs right through the German lines and the, the, the book says at first the Germans didn't shoot because they couldn't believe what was happening and then when they realized what was happening they started to shoot he ran through their fire he got to the other side he connected with Baker company and then the book says what happened next was even more extraordinary he ran back and he runs right back through the German lines and he brings the message and the easy company take the town. And after that happens, there's a, there's, a, there's a trooper there who's in awe of Spears and he says to him as they're sitting in the foxhole that night, he says, sir, on D-Day, I, I just crawled into a ditch and went to sleep. I didn't try and join my unit. I didn't try and fight. I just went to sleep. And Spears says to him, that's because you're afraid, son. That's because, and we're all afraid. He said, that's because you haven't realized that there is no hope. You hope you'll go home. You hope you'll survive this war. You hope you'll live. You're not going to live. The only hope that you have is to realize you're already dead. He says, to accept that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends upon it. The Bible tells us that when it comes to sin and self and the law, you're already dead. Romans 7 says, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Romans 6, 8, so that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that the old self was crucified with him. Galatians six fourteen. but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus by which the world has been for which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, people, we have got two fires in our bodies, two fires in our souls, and we can choose which fire we're going to feed. We need to realize, let that other fire, that flesh fire, that self fire, let it die. And when we die to law, and when we die to sin, and when we die to self, when we realize we're already dead, then we can function as every soldier is supposed to. And when it comes to the things that beset and the things that hinder, we can show no mercy. We can give no quarter without remorse or without compassion. I'm walking away on that. I don't want that. I don't need it. I don't want to be part of it. It's like there's two channels. One has a law focus, one has a sin focus. One has a law focus, one has a grace focus. And we've got to tune into the spirit channel. And we've got to turn off the flesh channel. 
The flesh channel means that we're listening to guilt, we're listening to fear, we're listening to inadequacies, we're listening to the pressures of life. We're caught up in that selfish focus. But on the spirit channel, it's different. The spirit channel says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God, set your minds on things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's an insightful verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 45. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. And that, there is truth that lies right there. What we need to do in order to walk by the Spirit is to think about what you think about. And when you're thinking about what you're thinking about, take every thought captive. We need to realize that we are not adequate, but that he is adequate. 1 John 3.20 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows the truth. And the truth is, we are not condemned. Think about what you think about and tell God about it. Tell your brothers and sisters about it. Be intentional about which fire you feed. Spend time deepening your relationships with the body of Christ. Let people in. Let them see you warts and all because when they love you, they will help you work on your warts. Spend time in the word. Let his spirit guide you in the truth of his word. You've got to read it, people. Who is hungry to hear God speak? God is there. He is not silent and he has spoken. Spend time in his word. Take the focus off self. Go out of your way to serve other people. But I don't have, I can't teach, I can't be with kids. You can set out a chair. You're serving other people right there. Look for opportunities to serve daily and pray. Pray frequently. Will you stand with me? I think there are three categories of people who need to respond to what you've heard in Romans chapter 8. There are people here, and this is what applies to you. You, you are not in Christ. You, you're still relating to Christ out of trying to get your ducks in a row. You haven't asked God to take over. You're trying to make it on your own. You're waiting until you're good enough. What God has said this morning, that's never going to happen. And he wants you to come to him in your not good enough state. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and ask God to do what he needs to do because you can't do it on your own. That's people who are not yet in Christ. And you know that God is speaking to you and you know you need to respond because your heart is flying and your stomach is in knots. 
And there are those who are in Christ, people who love Jesus already, but you've been relating to God legalistically. You're relating to God at a self-effort or religious obligation. You're trying to fake it till you feel it. That's not where he wants us to be. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come to the front in your moral bankruptcy and allow God to deal. And then there are those who love Jesus and who do their best not to relate to God from a legalistic perspective, but you've just been feeding the wrong fire. You like your stuff, the stuff that hinders. You're tuned to the wrong channel. You're listening to the messages of defeat and of guilt and of fear and of failure. Or maybe you just feel the pull of the world. So I would invite you to come up. So if God has spoken to you, and if the Holy Spirit has prompted you, I'm not going to belabor this. I just want you to come out from your seat right now.